0: If you have your Bibles, let's turn to 2 Kings chapter number 4, 2 Kings chapter number 4, and when you find your place, I'll ask you to stand, we'll stand together for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to begin in verse number 38 of 2 Kings chapter 4. And Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land. And the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said unto his servant, Set on the great, set on the great pot and seethe pottage for the sons of the prophets. And one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered there of wild gourds his lap full and came and shred them into the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. So they poured out for the men to eat, and it came to pass, as they were eating of the pottage, that they cried out and said, O thou man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat thereof. But, he said, then bring meal." And he cast it into the pot, and he said, pour out for the people and that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. Father, we bow in your presence, and we thank you, Lord, for the worship service that we've already been engaged in here tonight, for the songs that have been sung, and Lord, for the prayers that have been offered from your people Lord, for needs and on the behalf of others and others' needs, and for your blessing upon the ministries of this church. We thank you, Lord, for the offering that's been given and the sacrifice of those who give. And then, Lord, we thank you now for this time that we've set aside for the preaching and instruction of the Word of God. We ask your blessing upon it. Lord, we come to passages like these, and on the surface, at times, they can seem obscure or, uh, Lord, even in, in a sense, perhaps for some, confusing. But I pray that You'd give us wisdom and understanding, Lord, that we might not just hear the Word of God, but receive the meaning of the Word of God. And that, Lord, it'd have an impact on our lives, and it'd help us in our walk with You. Lord, we commit this service and this time in the Word to You and ask for Your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, just by way of review, it's been just a little while since we were here in the book of Second Kings, looking at the life of Elisha, and last time we looked at the final day, and I guess what we might call our little mini-series uh, on the It Fell on a Day series, maybe put it that way. And these verses, of course, that were in chapter 4, they came all the way to verse 37, started back in verse number 8. Uh, these were the verses where we find the narrative of the Samaritan woman. The Bible starts out by saying that she was a great woman. And uh, she was, or I'm sorry, Shunammite woman. I'll get my S's right. And wasn't the Samaritan woman. The Shunammite. I get my Old and New Testament mixed, mixed up there. The Shunammite woman. I could tell something was off because all of you were grinning at me, and that's not very common. So the Shunammite woman... And, of course, uh, we saw in that there was three specific days that the Bible distinguished and set apart and said that it fell on a day. And uh, we looked at, first of all, a day of perception, and that was a day of service for her. She went out, she served, and uh, did so unknowing who she was serving, but just wanting to be a servant. And uh, how that, that illustrates for us how we are to serve. It shouldn't matter who, when, or where, but... We ought to be looking for the opportunity to be of service for the Lord, and when we are serving for the Lord, our motive will be pure, and our service will be right. And then we look number two at a day of provision and how that, as a result of her self sacrificial service, that the man of God wanted to be a blessing to her, and elisha asked what he she could what he could do for her and and it was brought to his attention that she had no children, and so was As the miracle of God was performed, life was given, a son was born, and that home was blessed with the presence of a child. And then on the third day, it was a day of perseverance, and that was a great day of difficulty. We looked at that last time, and in that day, there was a phrase that stood out. We tried to emphasize that she declared as she went to find and look for Elisha, And that was that phrase, that statement, that declaration, it is well. And uh, we saw that on the darkest day of this woman's life, she was able to move forward and she was able to persevere through the power of faith. And she had set her eyes upon one that was even greater than Elisha, and that was the God of Elisha, who was her God as well. And she knew that God was able to do exceeding abundantly above all she could ask or think. And as she ran in the midst of her crisis, she was able to say, it is well. We considered the pain that this day brought, the loss of a child. We considered the process that this day brought. And all that God was doing in the process of what was going on to affect her life and to bring about his purpose, and that was the third point, the purpose that this day brought, and uh, may God help us, whatever day we find ourselves in, whether it is a day of perception or service, a day of provision or supply, or a day of perseverance, or uh, having to be sustained by the grace of God, that we take that day as it is, the, 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 the day that God has ordained for us to live in. And uh, we do it with faith, and we do it with our eyes set upon the Lord, knowing He does all things well. And she found that out at the end. And that will be all we say on that. don't want to go back and preach that message again. But tonight, just by way of introduction, I want us to pick up uh, here in verse 38 and go through verse 41 as we've read. And in these next four verses we find uh, this scene that has been set before us. And tonight I'd like to preach on this thought, Death in the Pot. I uh, just take the text from the text. I take the title of our sermon from the text that we're in here tonight. Uh, we see that phrase in verse 40. As they begin to eat of the pottage that has been made, uh, the Bible tells us that they cried out, O man of God, there is death in the pot. Death in the pot. Now, this is not a message against marijuana. (laughs) Though, I guess probably, I could do as some preachers and take it out of context and preach against pot. Uh, I'd say there's plenty of other places that we can take principles from the Word of God and preach against pot. But that's not the context, nor is it the emphasis of this text. Uh, We don't want to make a pretext out of it. But uh, I will say this, as a side note, there is death in pot, all right, it is the gateway drug, so stay away from it. But uh, let me go on, Uh, thank you for bearing with me a little in my folly. I believe we find in these verses, though, some practical instruction and, as well, some spiritual lessons. I think we find that in all of the Word of God, but we do, it certainly in these verses. Here Elisha, uh, as we have read, is visiting the school of the prophets here in Gilgal. And it would appear that he has been instructing them in the things of God. The Bible says that they are sitting there before him. And the idea there is to dwell or to, uh, to stay a while. And so uh, we're not just real clear. There's a little debate about it. But from the text, it would just seem on the surface Uh, that these young men are sitting and listening to Elisha. Elisha is instructing them. And uh, he is giving them instruction in the Word of God, perhaps even giving them some life experience that he's already gained, and trying to prepare them for their life in ministry as the sons of the prophets. Um, We find that at the close of their little meeting, or their class, or their talk, or whatever you want to call it, he gives orders that just a real simple meal should be prepared for them. And I think it's interesting here to note that Elisha is not only interested in their spiritual need, but we find here that he also takes interest in their physical well-being. It's not just their spiritual welfare that he's concerned with, but also the physical Let me just say, he is a type of our Lord and Savior in that respect. The Lord Jesus, during his earthly ministry, first and foremost sought to meet the spiritual needs of those whom he ministered to, but he didn't fall off from also helping and meeting many, many physical needs of those he ministered to as well. Let me just say, there can become an unbalance in the Christian life and in our ministry where all we do is meet physical need and we give no spiritual substance. But just because there is an abuse of that doesn't mean we should run to the other end of the spectrum and only try to meet spiritual need without ever caring for any of the physical need. And uh, I've heard it said, and you've heard it said here, people do not... Care how much you know until they know how much you care about them. And that is true. And here Elisha is going beyond just meeting the spiritual need, but also meeting a physical need. Here's the thing. A lot of times if you meet somebody's physical need, you have a captive audience. And they're going to listen to what you have to say now. Uh, I remember when we did the uh, food pantry here. And, and uh, maybe we'll do it again in the future. But most of you know we came, and I think we had one person that actually came out But uh, towards the end of that, uh, a couple of us got together and we said, well, why don't we just take them out like we would if we were going on visitation? We know some people that could use it. And in doing so, I think we gave another 12 boxes of food out. And each place that we gave a box of food to, they let us talk to them about the gospel. And you could see not just you know, and the fact that they took it. But on their face, there was a deep sense of appreciation because you were helping to meet a need. And they were willing now to listen to what we had to say. Places where before maybe we had stopped and, you know, it was just the same old casual, oh yeah, thanks, All right, yeah, have a good day. In a rush to get you out the door or in a rush to keep you from getting in the door. But on this occasion, it was different and they wanted to listen, and they were willing to hear what we had to say. Why? Because we were helping to meet a physical need. And I think that's a real good example. And let me just say, that's not the message tonight, but I think it is a good side note that we need to learn. This is a lesson we can learn that if we will use what God has blessed us with to be a blessing to others, And we'll take those talents that God's given us and we'll use it in the service of other individuals. It will open up a door for us to be able to talk with them about their soul. And now they're going to listen to what we have to say because we've gone out of our way to try to help meet a physical need. And so we find here Elisha's doing that. He prepares this meal. He has his servant to set uh, on the pot and that's not... (laughs) How it might sound, it's not sitting on the pot going to the bathroom, and he's not sitting on the pot, you know, playing the drum or whatever. He is sitting the pot on the fireplace. He is getting ready to cook. And so a very simple measure is being made here. It was a time, though, of dearth. It was a time of famine. So one of the men here. Uh, He goes out into the field to collect herbs. Evidently, they didn't have any handy because of the famine in the land. And so to make that pot of stew taste a little better, he goes on a journey looking for some herbs. And as he's out, he finds a wild vine with gourds on it. And uh, he picks what he believes will be a plenty. And it tell, tells us in the text here that, that he gathered them up in his lap full. And so you can imagine he's kind of walking back like this, carrying all the gourd. How many of you, when you've gone to pick the garden with your mom and dad, I'm not going to do it and you'll thank me for it. But you take your shirt and you start putting them in your shirt and you kind of hold your shirt like that as a homemade basket to carry stuff. I can imagine that's what he's doing probably with his cloak. And he's probably got all this gathered up, and he's coming back, he's got a lap full of gourds. And that's the, that's the picture that we see here. He cuts them up, he throws them in the pot, unconscious of the fact that these gourds are poisonous. They're not for human consumption. And it's not until after the pottage has been served, and they begin to eat it, that they come to this conclusion. They discover that there is death in the pot. Now, it doesn't say that anybody died. Uh, I don't think anybody died as a result of it. But let me just say death is the effect of sin. When sin is complete, it bringeth forth death. And so the statement there's death in the pot, there's something sinful, something poisonous, something dangerous about what we're eating. And they began to complain, and Elisha steps in and uh, here thankfully the man of God Elisha who's walking in the power of the double portion he's walking in the power of abundant life he knows exactly what to do he has an answer for the problem uh, before it even happens and I just want to say this God always has an answer for the problem of sin before it happens somebody said was, was sin created first and then God provide a way of salvation or did God provide a way of salvation and then sin came into the world well it It is the latter. God had already made a way of salvation in His Son, Jesus Christ, before Adam and Eve ever fell in the garden. And I'm glad before there was ever a single problem in the world, God already had the solution to that problem. Thank God He's an infinitely wise, all-powerful God Creator. And uh, we can rest in that. And so we find that here there was already an answer for the problem before the problem Ever came. And uh, what a blessing that is. Now, I want to just say before we get into our points that we're living in a very similar day to day as we find depicted in our text tonight. Today we are living in a land of dearth. We're living in a land that spiritually, there is spiritual famine everywhere. Uh, There's a lot of churches and a lot of church buildings and a lot of religious institutions out there, but there's very few that are preaching and teaching, thus saith the Lord, the Word of God. Uh, There are a lot out there that will give you uh, a lot of different philosophies, pop psychology, uh, man-centered education with very little Bible, maybe a few principles sprinkled in here and there to make it sound a little more Jesus-like, but it's not the Word of God. And that's the day we're living in. Sin has affected humanity, yay. Sin has affected creation on every level. I think everyone that went on the trip last week, we saw that firsthand. A visual to go with what we already know, that sin has affected creation. But man, it's affected it on every level. And as a result, there's death in the pot today. Uh, There is death in in our churches, in our religious institutions, because they have adopted and, and substituted for the Word of God, the world. Worldly thinking, worldly ideology, worldly rationalism, worldly philosophy... And they've begun to question the absolute authority of the Word of God. And there's death in the pot. And the very place where people should be able to go to, to find sustenance and strength, and uh, that which is provision for their soul, they're finding, there's poison, there's, there's, there's danger, and there's death. May God help us as a church to maintain scriptural and doctrinal purity And a love for souls to be able to minister in such dark days as we have here in this generation. I'm glad there is a solution. And uh, that solution is for those who will cry out to God for mercy and help. And uh, the solution is in the Word of God and it is in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's get into our three points tonight. Number one, I want you to notice the suffering condition. So there was a real suffering condition, a condition here of suffering. There was a dearth in the land. I mean, what a dark, dark condition. Before, Before we ever get to the dire circumstance of the text, there's a dark condition in the land that's revealed. The context, notice, and Elisha came again to Gilgal and there was dearth in the land. It's important for us to point out that this was the place where Elisha started out his journey. You remember that? After he had left all forsaken his family and his fortune and his farms, he left and he followed Elijah. And when we pick up here in Second Kings chapter 2, they are in Gilgal. And they go from Gilgal... Uh, into Bethel, and then from Bethel into Jericho, and then from Jericho on to Jordan. And uh, here Elisha uh, is back where he started out in his final journey with his master, when Elijah would be taken up. And it is here that Elisha's sincerity was first tested. You remember that? He told him, stay here as I go on to Bethel. And uh, he said, you know, as the Lord liveth and as my soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he went on with him. We've already pointed out that Elisha would work a miracle in each of the locations in reverse order in which they were visited. You remember, first was Jordan, he crossed on dry ground. Jericho, he healed the water. Bethel, he cursed the the young boys and the she-bears came out and ate them. And now here he is at Gilgal. Now Gilgal was east of Jordan, uh, uh, or east of Jericho. It was close to Jordan, and uh, it was a place where there would have been high moisture, water content. Um, it was a place where vegetation would have easily grown uh, a lot better in Gilgal than further inland. Uh, you remember Gilgal is a place made memorable from early from the early history of Israel. Uh, It was at Gilgal that the nation had set up the twelve stones after they passed through Jordan. It was a monument to God's gracious intervention when He had caused them to pass through the Jordan on dry ground. And they set up there an altar unto the Lord with twelve huge stones taken out of Jordan to represent each tribe of the tribe of Israel. And there they dedicated again themselves unto the Lord. It was at Gilgal that they had circumcised those who had been born in the wilderness wanderings, thereby rolling away the reproach of Egypt. And this was a very clear picture of of their... uh, a sanctification unto the Lord, uh, that they were the Lord's people, a peculiar people. It was at Gilgal that they had first partaken of the, of the old corn of the land, so that the manna no longer was needed, and it was there at Gilgal that God ceased to give them manna in the morning. And so Gilgal is associated with a place of God's blessing, uh, of dedication to God, of commitment, and yet now it's a picture of dearth, of of famine, and of death. And uh, you know, isn't it sad that in spite of this place being such a favored spot, it's still affected by the dearth that's in the land. Let me just say in passing, and I'll move quickly here, But just because you are in a place where God has blessed in the past, and God has moved in the past, and God has done in the past, doesn't mean that you are uh, completely out of the reach of the effects of sin. Listen to me. We better not take ease in Zion. We better not feel like we've arrived and achieved all that God has for us to achieve we still got work to do in our personal life, in our home life, in our church life, in our community. There is still much to be done right here, today, right now, for each and every one of us. We have not arrived. And we better not live on the blessings of yesterday and as a result, miss out on the blessings of today and tomorrow. And uh, Sunday night, Brother Scott preached a good message to us about that very idea about how we had better be careful uh, that we not look at what the Lord has done and just take it for granted and not guard against the enemy who is an adversary and would seek to destroy us. And when he's already seen God bless and do, his ears have perked up the target has been placed the arrow has already been strung and the the string has been pulled back on the bow and he is waiting to let go of those fiery darts against God's people we need to be alert we need to be vigilant we need to be sober just like it was preached Sunday night and just like we see in the text here the nation of Israel is under the judgment of God because they've not done what God told them to do and as a result God has turned them over to judgment and punishment to bring them to repentance and restoration and beloved I don't want to go that route. I don't want to have to go through God's school of hard knocks and disciplinary action. I want to learn from the Word of God and from the example of Israel. And I want to stand strong and be ready in the fight. And each one of us had better take note of ourselves and where we stand before God and be careful. Why? Because even in places where God has blessed, there is still the possibility of famine, of dearth, of death, of sin, taking hold and ruining our lives. We see the condition here in the context, but notice also the cause of this condition. The word dearth means a famine. Famine was of course one of the sore punishments that God had promised. And you can go... I thought about giving some examples, but really they're all throughout the Old Testament. He told them time and time again, if I shut up the heavens, if I send pestilence in the land. All of these are forms of God sending judgment, agricultural judgment upon his people to the point that they don't have food. And that's what's going on here. God is judging the nation of Israel for her disobedience and rebellion. And this was God's means of getting their attention. He would send dearth or famine as a form of judgment against His people. Disobedience is what brought this. And the northern kingdom at this moment in history, in Israel's history, is in rebellion against God. They have begun to uh, worship false gods. They've entered into idolatry and because of that God is angry with them and there is disobedience among God's people as a, as a result of disobedience. there is a drought. And the Bible tells us that God punishes by drought. He shuts up the heavens, Deuteronomy 28:23, "And thy heaven that is over thy head shall be brass. He goes on to say "And the earth that is under thee shall be iron." And you want to talk about being in a bad place when there's no water coming from the sky and the ground is as hard as a rock, you're not going to grow any food to eat and you're not going to grow any food for your food to eat. You're going to be in a helpless situation. So disobedience brought drought, drought brought dearth. And again, dearth is the idea of there being no food, no vegetation, no fruit, no nothing to eat. Famine had followed, and then as a result, Death. And again, we echo what the New Testament says, when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. Their sin had led to this judgment of God. Their disobedience had led to their spiritual death, and it was affecting them physically. Talking about the condition, we see it in the context, the cause. Notice number three, the consequence of this suffering condition. There was spiritual suffering along with physical suffering, and that's the consequence. It's interesting. There are interestingly there is a particular class of people emphasized in this suffering condition. Did you notice that? The last person of interest in the last three messages that covered verse eight to thirty-seven was who? The Shunammite woman. She's a person of interest. She's the one that the Scripture emphasizes. Before that, it was the woman that was in debt and had two children going to be taken off and put in slavery. And with each situation, you always find somebody in the text is the emphasis of that that need, that sorrow, that punishment, whatever it is. Here, it's the sons of the prophets. This is the particular class of people that's being emphasized in this suffering condition. And i just give you a few perspectives. I thought about, number one, well, these are the ministers. These are the preachers of the morrow. These are the guys in training. So to me, this picture is the sanctuary. This picture is the place where God's meeting with His people, and it's particularly these young men, these young ministers, priests, if you will, or maybe even prophets to be, And uh, what a picture that is, that whenever there's disobedience, you know who suffers? God's people suffer. We see that in our nation. Our nation is living a lie. Our nation does not trust in God. Our nation does not love God. We are not a Christian nation. We are a heathen nation. We are a nation that murders our babies. We celebrate immorality and perversion. And we still claim to love God just so He'll bless us. God's not a good luck charm. And He's not going to bless sin. And so here we are. We're living in a day and age where our nation has rebelled against the Word of God. And do you know who's suffering? And do you know who's going to suffer? going to be God's people. It's going to be the sanctuary, it's going to be the church, it's going to be those who live godly in this present wicked and evil and sinful world. That's who's going to suffer. And so we find that whenever times like this come, it is often the sanctuary that experiences this persecution or the suffering condition. We see a picture of the sanctuary. We also, I see a picture of the servants of God, not just the church, but it's those men that will stand and boldly proclaim the Word of God despite what the world says, despite what the government tells them. They're not going to back down, even if it's them and no one else, they're going to stand with a with the backbone of a saw log and they're going to preach the Word of God and not care what anybody thinks about it. Not out of meanness, not out of hatred, not out of out of any kind of resentment, but out of Just a deep seated conviction that this is what thus saith the Lord, and I'm not going to back up on the God who's called me into this ministry. But then also, we see the picture of the student class, and I'm going to tell you who else suffers whenever a nation goes awry or a people begin to teach that which is contrary to the Word of God it's our children whether it be our little kids, our middle school kids, our high school kids, or even our college students, that's who's suffering in America right now. They're being force-fed a whole lot of trash in this day and age. Whether it's evolution, or science falsely called, or whether it's it's philosophies of men, or whether it's situational ethics, and we can go on and on and on. All of it is a consorted effort to try to uh, take God out of our thinking, the Word of God and its influence out of our lives, and to control us and bring us into subjection to the little g God of this world who is Satan. And it's the children that suffer as a result. And we may be protected here to some degree, but it's here too. And it's everywhere. And our children are going to suffer when the truth is not being preached. And it goes beyond just the four walls of the church, but there's children in churches that are suffering because they're not hearing the truth. They're not hearing the simplest of truths. That man's sinful. He's born a sinner. He can't save himself. That Jesus is the only way of salvation. And it's by repentance and faith that one can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Just the basic, simple truths of the Gospel. Many children on church pews across this country have never heard that. You know what they have heard? They've heard things like, you know, you're a good person just the way you are. And... You know, you don't really have to change anything. And, you know, just just, if you'll just add Jesus to whatever you're already doing, you'll be all right. And they get entertained and they get brainwashed. And that's where we're at. And that's who suffers. So we see the condition. I better move on. The suffering condition. I see number two, the seething crisis. So the suffering condition was further compounded by this seething crisis. What brought about this crisis, you might ask? Well, number one, independence. And isn't that where we get in trouble when we start trying to be independent of God, independent of the church, independent of the Word of God in our lives? You know, it just starts with, well, I'm not going to read the Bible today, I'm busy. And then tomorrow, it's a little easier not to read the Bible. And the next day, it's even easier. And before you know it, you're living a life independent of the Scriptures, And so now you don't have the Word of God in your life on a daily basis to help direct you and and guide you from your thought life to everything else you do. And then, you know, we start, you know, well, I don't need the church. I can go just on Sunday, or I can miss here and there, you know, and it's a spirit of independence. I don't really need God, and so I can make it on my own. I don't have to have others. And you realize how quickly that can get you in trouble. And we could go on and on. And say, where do you find this at in the text? you just picking a text to preach what you want to preach? No. See, there's no record at all that this man was told or instructed to go and gather ingredients. He did this on his own. Elisha didn't tell him to do it. Elisha's servant, who's evidently the cook here, he didn't tell him to do it. The Bible says, and one went out into the field to gather herbs. Doesn't say anybody told him to do it. He's acting independently of the man of God, or the Word of God, or the servant of God. No record here. Just says he rose up and went on his own way. And listen to me, that was part of the problem. If he had stayed where he was supposed to be and hadn't got out doing his own thing, there would have never been any gourds in this pot. There would have never been any poison. But he went out into the world on his own and he brought back trash that he found in the world and he put it in the pot where they were fixing to eat with God's people. And here's a real problem in our churches. we got a lot of people living independent, not following the Word of God, not following the instruction of God's Word, not accountable to a local church. They go out in the world, they see something they think sounds good, looks good, uh, should be implemented, and they bring it into the church. And before you know it, you got danger... And you got philosophies and the rudiments of this world and the traditions of men that are being mingled and mixed with the Word of God. I'm just saying, this is where this seething crisis came from. Independence. Number two, we could preach there a while. Ignorance. Ignorance. He didn't know that what he was gathering was poisonous. He didn't know that these gourds were not for human consumption. You know, that's the way it is, isn't it? People get out on their own and because they're acting independently and because they're not following instruction, there's ignorance. And they've not listened to the Word of God. And they've not listened to the Word of God as it is instructed into their lives. And they act independently. And all of a sudden, all, all, all the decisions they begin to make are poor decisions. And I mean, it's just Ignorance. Why would you do that? What, what are you thinking? Well, you're not thinking. And that's the problem with sin. When you get out into the world, and sin looks good and it makes sense when you're out there in it, but when God gets you out of it, you look back and you're like, what was I thinking, man? Why did I do that? Why did I go there? Why did I get involved in that? Why did I try that? What was I thinking? That was so stupid. I should have never did this. But when you're in it, you don't see it, do you? He was out in the middle of it. He didn't see it. He thought, hey, looks like something good to eat. I'm tired of eating just flavored water. I ain't got nothing to put in it. Let's throw some cucumbers in there. I mean, probably, in fact, that's one of the words, the Hebrew words translated as is cucumber. But these weren't the kind of cucumbers you want to make pickles out of. These are the kind of cucumbers that are going to give you nightmares. And it did. And he got them and he took them back. Ignorance, ignorance. Sin always looks good on the surface. But when you get into the middle of sin, all of a sudden you're made aware of how dangerous it is. What have I done? How did I get here? I'll tell you how. You started acting independently. And as a result, sin made a fool out of you. And you've shown your ignorance. But we also see a third thing that brought about this seething crisis. Impurity. What he brought back was impure. And that's the conclusion. The conclusion was that there was something impure and dangerous about what was in the pot. Oh man, we could preach here, I guess, for for hours. I won't do that to you. I know I'm already over 28 minutes, so I'm not even going to try now. But uh, I think it wasn't Brother Paschal that preached a message on this, and he brought a pot in, and he would pull stuff out of the pot. I think I remember him telling us about that. Boys, all kinds of sins you could preach on. But I mean, there's impurity in this pot. How about the impurity of man centered education? Listen to me. There is no more effective education than a God centered education. You take God out of the education system, you don't have education, you have foolishness. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. If a man's to have understanding, he must fear the Lord. And without the truth of God's Word being put into the lives of our children, education will do them no good. And you can't be more intellectual or more educated than being Spirit-filled and Bible-taught as a person, as an individual, whether you're a young individual or an older individual. And so there was the impurity of man-centered education in this pot. And man, it was all centered upon man and what they thought was right. And man, they weren't being guided by the Word of God or by the man of God here. There was the impurity of just sensual ethics. Sensual ethics. You know, whatever feels good. You know, it's sensual ethics that would tell our children. You know what? You don't need to go to the marriage altar. Uh, you know, with your purity or your virginity or your virtue, just you know, shack up, try it out. If it don't work, find you another one. you right, I mean, you know, by the way, you're just an animal. That's what. That's what's pushed in this society, and you know what? It's in our churches. It's in the pot. There's impurity of modern psychology. Just you know. Whatever feels good, do it because you. I could just said you are an animal. You're just one of the another mammal, uh, you know, in the animal kingdom, and so we're not held to anything. We're a bunch of matter just thrown together by by the uh, by, by the uncaused Big Bang, and you know, as a result, there's no meaning to life. There's no purpose in life. There's no accountability in life, and so you just live however you want to live. And that's where we're at in our society. There's impurity in the pot, impurity of godless theology. There's a lot of preaching falsely so-called in this day and age because it's absent, it's void of any Bible. There's no theology in it. You don't want the word theology scare you. It just means a study of God. I heard one guy say, don't give me theology, give me old-time preaching. Well, you don't have old-time preaching without theology. What are you preaching about if you're not preaching about God? I'll tell you what they're preaching about. They're preaching about themselves. The little g God of self. They're preaching what they think is right. And their own ideas. And their traditions. There's the impurity of worldly lust. And is that not one of the tactics of the enemy? We heard again about that Sunday night. The, the age old three, the three areas where the enemy attacks. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And that's where the enemy will attack us. And there's the impurity of worldly lust. And all of this right there in the pot. And you go on and on and on. But I'm just giving you some application tonight. This was the seething crisis. But then thirdly, we see the saving cure. The Bible says, But he said, then bring meal. And he cast it into the pot, and there was no harm in the pot. Meal. I looked at this word, I tried to figure out how I could spiritualize this, but I will say this, meal is the word used whenever Abraham tells Sarah to get some meal and make some cakes. It is the very ingredient of bread. And we know that Jesus is the bread of life. And we know that often the Word of God is likened unto bread. You want to know what the cure, what the saving cure is? It's the Word of God. You know what's going to fix the problems of our day, the death that's in the pot in this day, the Word of God. This is the answer for all the problems that we face. And it's in this book that we find the person that answers all the problems we face, and that's Jesus Christ. That's the saving cure. But I notice here in our text there was admission and confession. They admitted that there was something wrong with it, and they confessed, we don't know what to do. We need you to help us, Elisha. That's a good place to get to if you want help from God. Admit you're wrong and tell God, I confess, I can't fix myself. You're getting in a good place if you can be honest with the Lord. Because that's what it's going to require, is honesty with God. You're going to have to see your need of Him. And it's not something you just come to on your own one day. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit convicting you of your need of Christ. And as He begins to convict you and bring you to the reality, I need God. There was admission and confession. There was absolute cleansing. And it wasn't anything they did. Here Elisha again walking in the power of the double portion he knew what to do he had the meal he threw it in and I want to say thank God for people like Elisha who walk with God they're spirit filled they know the word of God and when you come to them with a problem they have an answer not because they're super spiritual in a sense that they've got more insight not because they've got a special discernment that nobody else does it's just because they're familiar with the word of God they know what the Bible says and oh yeah right here this is what God says to do about that That'll fix the problem. There was absolute cleansing and it didn't come by anything other than just the word of the Lord through Elisha. Again, that's the answer. You want to fix the poison that's in the pot, the death that's in the pot, get in the book and it'll clean your pot up. And then there's the appropriation and consumption. They had to eat it again. They ate it again. And then it was good, and they had a meal. And uh, I want to say, God is the answer, but you're going to have to be responsible. Here we see again, sovereignty and responsibility, and it's always wedded together perfectly in Scripture. There's no cure outside of the man of God being there and giving it, but also there's no cure if they aren't taking it unto themselves and partaking of it. And uh, thank God Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father but by Him. But He declares, come unto me. Come unto me. And He gave us that as the final word in the book of Revelation that the church is still preaching, come unto Him. And the Spirit is still calling, come unto Him. And if any man will come unto Him, he'll find rest for his soul. What a blessing that is, the saving cure here. It's found in the Word of God. I wonder, is there poison in your pot tonight? Have you got death in your pot? or you got something that's there, shouldn't be there, and it's, it's messing your life up? It's turning your life upside down? Maybe you've been acting independently or ignorantly or living in impurity. Let me just say there is a solution. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to live like that. Are days bad? You can look around and tell days are bad. We're living in real bad days. But there's an answer for it. Whether you're lost tonight and you need Christ, here's the answer. Come to Jesus. This book reveals Him. Or you're saved and you sense the need of revival. Or, or you know the need there is even in your own life to get the pot clean. There's the answer right here. Come to the Lord. And if we'll do that, we'll find that this death in the pot can be turned to life in the meal. And this turned out to be life for them and sustenance and strength. And all that comes from the Word of God. That's what we need in this hour. We need more of God's Word. So may the Lord help us tonight. Let's bow our heads. If you're in need of the Lord's help, I encourage you to come and bow before the Lord, call upon Him. He'll give you what you stand in need of. Father, we thank You for the Word of God tonight. I ask You to take and commit it to our hearts. Lord may we live by it not just be hearers of it but doers of the word may we take assessment tonight of where we are in our own lives maybe what we've allowed to enter into our own pot maybe a picture there of our homes or even of our personal secret life what we've allowed to come into our lives into our homes maybe even into our churches into this church Lord, I pray you'd help us. If there's anything there, Lord, you'd point it out. You'd give us the grace and the strength to repent of it and to move on and serve you. We love you tonight. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy, your grace, and your goodness, and ask you to help us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I appreciate you being here tonight.